Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Long Game with Ellie and Leach. Welcome to The Long Game with Ellie and Leach from The Recount, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm Ellie Granderson, and he's Will Leach. He sadly does remain Will Leach. And we have a very full slate today, as always, including an interview, by the way, with your favorite head coach. And you know what? After we've talked to him, my favorite head coach, the Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay. But before we get started, I do want to invite anyone listening. So the NCAA tournament starts next week. We are going to have the long game slash Will Leach newsletter, williamfleach.substack.com. Don't worry, I'm not one of those Substack people. It's just a free newsletter service. I write a newsletter every week. You should subscribe to it. It's free. And for years, I've been doing the NCAA tournament pool. We're going to combine that with the long game. If you win the pool, you get to not only assign me a topic for my newsletter, but more to the point, you get to make a guest appearance on this podcast. You better be interesting. You get 30 seconds if you're not interesting, and maybe the whole show. If you're really interesting, who knows? But more to the point, go to the Recounts Twitter page. I'll have the link for you to sign up. There'll be an ESPN tournament challenge. Sign up. It's the long game slash Will Leach newsletter in simply basketball pool. It's free, and maybe you'll uh, win the chance to talk to me and LZ. It'll be fun. Fingers crossed. All right. Yeah, it'll be fun. Maybe LZ, you'll win and you'll get to stay on the show for the whole episode. Um, (laughs) All right. Now we've got that business out of the way. Here's what we have lined up on today's program. First, we're going to share our thoughts on the Russian invasion of Ukraine with a focus on the arrest in Moscow of WNBA star Brittany Griner on drug smuggling charges, which could land her in prison for 10 years. LZ, it is disturbing to say the least that Griner had already been detained for three weeks before it became public knowledge over the weekend and that Russia could be using her as a pawn in its conflict with the U.S. and really the rest of the Western world. Trumped up charges indeed, because anyone who smokes pot knows that Brittany Griner, of all people, was not carrying enough pot to be considered an international drug smuggling person. My goodness. It's so stupid. Then, Will, we'll be joined by my Super Bowl winning head coach, Sean McVay, who is also one of many people who have been affected personally by the war in Ukraine. We'll talk about how the tragic events have changed him, the status of his relationship with John Gruden, how L.A. is treating Sean now that he's won the big one. And because Will's son just had to know if he'll ever coach the Cleveland Browns, among other many topics. I hope poor Will recovers from the answers. Listen, William popped in on this interview. And I, ever since then, I've had the producers of this show being like, hey, can we talk to your son? We'd actually like to introduce him for a big contract to replace you. So I'm glad I let him come by. Enjoy the long game with LZ and William next week. We'll also discuss the legacy of Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, the story head coach of the Duke Blue Devils men's basketball team, who's retiring at the end of the season after 42 years in Durham. Now, let's not forget, even though Krzyzewski may be the best ever at his job, he is also quite possibly the most disliked. LZ, once the retirement business is over, can we go back to hating on Coach K like we always have, or do we have to pretend that we loved him forever? Did you stop hating him, Will? I never, ever, ever. We'll stop hating that man. Then we'll wrap up the show with This Week in Sports History in honor of International Women's Day, taking you back 43 years when baseball finally allowed female sports reporters equal access into the locker rooms. 
But before we get into our top three stories, Will, we just got some breaking news about your favorite player. LZ, it turns out, contrary to what I had been told, the woke mob will not actually run you out of the NFL. <laughs> no, the woke mob did not run me out of the NFL and apparently did not run out one Aaron Rodgers, one four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers. How do you feel about this, Will? <laughs> about this announcement that he's going to just return knowing the last 12 months with Aaron Rodgers and all the drama and the flirting with Jeopardy and, you know, the conversations about whether or not the franchise was respecting him enough by listening to his wishes in terms of what he felt he needed in terms of personnel and the quarantine and the pandemic and the virus and Joe Rogan. And, <laughs> and here we are. He's just going to end up being the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers yeah. next season. Uh, yeah, I say that. <laughs> you've been doing you've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for a while. And it's just a good reminder that a lot of the things that we totally obsess about Every time I go to the gym at like 11.30 in the morning, people on my television are screaming at me about it and screaming at each other about it. Ultimately, in like two years, you look back, wow, we really like made a big deal out of like nothing. And the <laughs> deflate gate is famously the biggest example uh, of this. Yes. Forget just the last 12 months. I feel like we've been having this conversation about like, when are the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers going to break up? Is he going to go to his childhood favorite team, the 49ers? Is he going to play with the Broncos? All of these things. And he's freaking there. And he's going to be there for four more years. He's going to make $135 million and, do all, and, and it's all going to turn out fine. I think an undercurrent to the frustration with Rodgers with like the vaccine stuff and, and the woke mob and the constant interviews with the man with no sleeves. The whole thing that was always frustrating with him about that was just like, you know, he's going to be fine. There's nothing worse than hearing someone who you know it's all going to work out for and it's all going to be good and is not being silenced, is not being punished, it's not going to damage anything in his life at all, talking about how he's the one that's suffering and he's the one that's struggling. And whatever, he deserves it. He's Aaron Rodgers. He's an incredible quarterback. Yeah. I would totally want him to be my team's quarterback too. It's easy to make the jokes of, oh, it turns out he's not been thrown out of the NFL and not been silenced. But seriously, I don't want to hear any more complaints from Aaron Rodgers about how he's not happy. It's a reminder. It's all just posturing. It's all just contract stuff. It's half the this stuff's done through agents anyway. We get all dialed up about the personal fights and this. And is he upset with the Packers? Or what about Jordan Love? Turns out he got everything he wanted, like he was probably always going to in the first place. Right. He got everything he wanted, including the MVP, because he's the best quarterback in the game and has been, in my opinion, for some time. Despite the lack of postseason success, it's hard to, to argue that there's any quarterback in the league that's substantially better than Aaron Rodgers. Like, I don't know of any. I know Patrick Mahomes was very, very sexy for a while. But at the end of the day, there's literally not a throw that Patrick Mahomes makes yeah. that Aaron Rodgers can't and hasn't been making for, like, basically the entire time since he's been the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. You know, the thing that I was really kind of wondering what was going to happen through all of this, you remember during the last dance, my mm -hmm. friend, that little documentary do. about how great Jordan mm -hmm. is? I do. I <laughs> it was supposed to have been about yeah. the Bulls' last run, but really it was just about how great And Michael how he Jordan was occasionally was. <laughs> disrespected. Yes, yes. I remember those things, yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> One of the, the, the rainy themes throughout the entire docu-series was this notion that Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf and the, and the, the brain trust of the Chicago Bulls had decided that they were going to break this thing up and start all over again. Because at the end of the day, they were the geniuses, not Pip and Rodman and Jordan, of course. Obviously, that did not work out the way they thought it would. <laughs> no offense to Pete Myers. <laughs> no offense no to Pete Myers. But, but apparently, if you get rid of the best player in the yeah. game and try to start all it's over hard. prematurely, <laughs> it's a lot harder than you think. Yeah. 
maybe just maybe Matt LaFleur and the gang all sat around and rewatched that docuseries, Will, and says, should we get rid of Jordan now? He just won the MVP for the second consecutive year. Do we bust this thing up and start all over because we're the geniuses? Or do we acknowledge the fact that we wouldn't be shit without Aaron Rodgers? And thus, we should probably try to ride this train for as long as this train is going to keep rolling. I think they decided after watching what happened with the Chicago Bulls, who I believe are 0-14 this season against the top three teams in both conferences. So despite them having a better than expected record, no one should be disillusioned into thinking that they're back because they're not. They're just better than what they were before. They still haven't come nowhere near where they were when they had Jordan. And thus, if you're the Green Bay Packers, you may be disappointed with yet another early exit from the postseason. But you're asking yourself, are we better with Aaron Rodgers or are we better without Aaron Rodgers? And at the end of the day, they realized they're better with Aaron I would Rodgers. hope so. I would hope so. <laughs> if there's one lesson to be taken from that documentary, I, that's probably the only positive one. Okay, before we get into our big story, I do have a little crow to eat very briefly. You may remember last week. Would you like a knife and a fork, I, my I, friend? Listen, I, I'm on an all-crow diet like, at this point, really, for the last like several years. Uh, but I, I feel obliged to point out, much to my frustration and annoyance, the Major League Baseball owners and its players keep having huge meetings on Tuesdays, the day that we tape this show. So last week, I was like, it looks like it's going to happen. All the momentum's building. They're going to make it. And LZ, I think you totally agree with me. I don't remember what happened. Uh, no, of course, you told me I was wrong. Uh, there was no reason to be optimistic. And you were totally right. I'm looking at my phone. I'm not realized, oh, no, can we retape very quickly? Well, so you know, they are meeting again today. This is the day where the Major League Baseball has claimed with another one of those semi-artificial deadlines that they keep doing that today's the last day to keep a 162-game season. If they don't come to a deal today, they will cancel another week of the season. Just so you know, the optimism that I had last week has absolutely been replaced by pessimism now. I'm all in Team Granderson. <laughs> I am Team Granderson right now. So perhaps we'll all catch a break and I'll be just as wrong this week as I was last week. Because last week I was optimistic and I was wrong. Today, pessimistic, hopefully wrong, probably not. Yeah, you know, I'm not happy to watch you eat crow. Thank you. That's sweet of you. Well, good. Good, because you should develop a taste for watching me do it because it's going to happen so (laughs) many times. And I understand where your optimism is coming from. And I, too, wanted to be optimistic, Will. I really did. But when I, like, stopped really believing that ultra-rich people were just going to do the right thing for the right thing's sake and not try to squeeze as much out of an opportunity as they possibly could, there was a big conversation about... Daylight savings time. <laughs> uh-huh. And just just bear with me for a second because it all makes sense. All I'm right? with you. So I was involved with a conversation with politicians about daylight saving time. And through the entire conversation, everyone acknowledged that the circumstances that created daylight savings time was no longer a consideration in terms of the way we live today. You know, the farming wasn't what it was. Mm. We weren't keeping kids out of school to help parents farm. On top of that, Will, in the same conversation, we all acknowledge the best optimum times for children to learn based upon the science. It isn't early in the morning. It's actually a little bit late in the day, blah, 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 blah. So then I pose this question. If we know all of this stuff, then why don't we just fix it and make it apply to where we are today? And without rehearsal, (laughs) They all said, ah, that's never going to change. That's the way we've always done it. (laughs) And I'm having this conversation with people 
whose jobs it is, is literally to make life better for everyone else. And they just mm-hmm. kind of flippantly said, yeah, yeah we're not changing any of that because it's never going to fly. And at that point, I just stopped believing that common sense was the North Star in these nuanced, complicated conversations where different facets are seeking and wanting different things. So when I look at baseball, particularly the baseball owners, we all know what makes sense. We all understand that not having games is literally the worst thing that can happen to your sport. So bad. So bad. It's so bad. (laughs) And yet... Yep, here we are. I knew. I just knew that they weren't going to do what was best for the sport. They ultimately were just going to do what they've always done because we're perpetually trapped in this ideological hamster wheel that prevents us from making sensible changes at a sensible rate or sensible time. So I'm sorry, Will. We're not changing daylight savings time despite the fact it makes sense. And baseball owners are just going to always fuck up these negotiations because that's what they've always done. They don't know anything else. Okay, LZ, let's move on and talk about our first big topic, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the highly concerning arrest of WNBA star Brittany Griner. There's only so much I can say given privacy considerations uh, at this point. Let me just say more generally, uh, whenever an American is detained anywhere in the world, uh, we of course stand ready to provide every possible assistance. We have an embassy team that's working on the cases of, uh, of other Americans. Uh, who are detained uh, in Russia. We're doing everything we can to see to it that their rights are upheld and respected. That was the United States Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, referring to the incarceration of WNBA all-star Brittany Griner, who we just learned a few days ago, has been detained in Russia for the last three weeks on drug smuggling charges. Griner has played in Russia during the WNBA's offseason for years, where she makes substantially more money for four months of work than she does at home. Over the weekend, the Russian Federal Customs Service released a video of Griner going through security at an airport just outside of Moscow after she arrived there from New York. According to the independent Russian news agency Interfax, back when there were independent Russian news agencies, a drug-sniffing dog indicated there were narcotics in Griner's luggage, and the search subsequently found vape cartridges that contained oil derived from cannabis. Griner is being held on charges that carry a maximum penalty of 5 to 10 years in prison. In recent years, U.S. officials have accused Russia of detaining and sentencing American citizens on trumped-up charges, and the State Department issued a do-not-travel-to-Russia advisory on January 23rd for just that reason. So there's real concern that Russia has jailed Griner to gain leverage in the current standoff with Washington over the Ukraine invasion. LZ? So far, the relationship of the sports world to the Russian aggression has been to protest it. Now, to have an extremely popular and successful American athlete possibly victimized by that regime is really, really scary. What do you think it's going to take to get Brittany Griner home? Well, it is absolutely terrifying for a lot of reasons. For me, the biggest reason is terrifying is that she had actually been in custody slash in prison for three weeks before the country really knew. Yeah. And when I mean the country, I don't mean officials, I don't mean her agent or even the league. I mean like the everyday citizen, right? Particularly WNBA fans who were very shocked and were was tweeting about this nonstop during the course of the weekend once the news started, really finally started to break. So for three weeks, this woman has been in the Russian jails. And what do we know about that? All right, so three weeks ago, there was no invasion, but there was built up tension, right? We have known for months based upon the reporting that Russia was planning 
to be assertive in a violent way towards Ukraine. And a lot of that was built upon the fact that Ukraine was flirting with joining with NATO. Obviously, the EU was part of it, and Russia interpreted that as some sort of threat. Plus, Putin is obsessed with trying to return Russia to what it once was during the height of the Cold War. When they arrested Brittany Griner, and by the way, we don't know definitively if the charges mm -hmm. that have been reported out of the state-controlled media out of Russia is actually all of the facts. We know that state-controlled media out of Russia has distorted some of the facts as it pertains to the conflict with Ukraine. So it would only stand to make sense that Russia may not necessarily give all of the right information as it pertains to an American citizen who is also a person of color, who is also openly gay. And if you know anything about Russia, particularly the coverage that happened when Russia was hosting the Sochi Games, propaganda laws that were quickly passed would make Brittany Griner's very presence in Russia a crime, if you will. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind that Russia is planning on using her for leverage. I have no doubt in my mind that every single citizen that has been arrested and has been held for years in Russia right now on trumped up charges are all part of this master plan. Just put the West in general, but the United States specifically, in this really awkward bind where they want to be strong on Russia and they want to be harsh on Russia, but they don't want to be dismissive of the impact it can have on American lives who are being held in Russia. And now you have this woman who is known internationally because of her platform in basketball being held by this regime that is playing complete no regards to what the UN is saying, does not care about the NATO threats, making threats of their own. And this woman has been trapped for the better part of the month in the midst of all of this. It's a horrible situation for her. My prayers are for her and her wife and her family and her friends. My prayers are with the WNBA because there's no way if this was an NBA player or an NFL player or even an NHL player with three weeks have gone by without this being reported. But because the WNBA already has a smaller bandwidth within U.S. culture, it was a lot easier for this story not to be reported. But as you said earlier, Will, this is a superstar in the sport. Yeah. You know, this is not a nobody in this sport. It's just that we don't care enough about women's sports in general and WNBA specifically that there would have been enough eyeballs to ask, where is Brittany? For three weeks, yeah. no one in the United States was asking, where is Brittany? We wouldn't have done that with any other superstar. So I'm already feeling so heartbroken because she's been gone and we didn't ask where she was. And now that we know where she is, we have no, none, no ability whatsoever to get her out without a war. None. We have citizens there right now yeah. that have been there for years that we can't get out. It is incredibly scary. I understand there's a sensitive situation. I know that her wife has said, listen, we're just, please just give it, we need some privacy. We're all just trying to figure this out. I think people are in ways kind of treating it like a kidnapping situation and they don't want to add too much media attention in a certain way. The WNBA, for example, doesn't even have a story about it on their website. It is also worth noting, however, that the WNBA is not entirely without some blame in this situation. And there are many players in the WNBA who, the minute the season is over, fly to Russia or fly overseas to go to other leagues because the top 
like, listen, the, the, the minimum salary, I believe, is like $60,000. Yeah. And someone like Griner, who's one of the top five paid players in the league, is still making like $216,000, which is a quarter as much as the minimum salary in the NHL. So one of the reasons this wouldn't happen in the NHL or the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball, well, back when baseball was a sport that was played mm-hmm. in this country, is because they don't need to go to another country to make the living that they deserve. This is not one of those like, well, the WNBA doesn't make as much money. So no, the WNBA artificially deflates salaries. We just saw this a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago with the New York Liberty. The New York Liberty were fined $500,000 literally just for doing chartered flights to their game because it was seen as like a competitive advantage. The WNBA is another one of those leagues that like Major League Baseball right now that claims, oh no, no, we have to keep salaries all equal so we have competitive balance. When the real reason is we're trying right. to keep salaries low. And so when someone like Griner, who is again, one of the like, like a legend. She's like, going into the Hall of Fame. She, they just had their 25th anniversary, 25 best players of all time. She was on it. She was second in MVP voting last year. Tom Brady was second in MVP <laughs> voting in the NFL. Imagine if Tom Brady is in Russia right now. Uh, like, and, and For I, three weeks. For three weeks. I understand they want to keep quiet. I understand that, that this is a sensitive negotiation. I get it. If, if there's a negotiation right. even going on. I don't right? think this I is high suspect, on the list. This would have been a scary situation right. if this would have happened to her a year ago. I cannot fathom how scary it is now. The idea that WNBA players are paid so little, even the superstars are paid so little, that they have to go overseas and potentially be in dangerous situations like this. It is something that men have done for a long time, right? But they're not superstars in the league in the United States. Men go over there because they're not playing in the NBA. And so... They're trying to get into the NBA by going overseas to supplement the income until they're able to have their dreams come into fruition. You know, one of my favorite stories has to do with P.J. Tucker and how he spent years playing overseas before he was able to get back into the NBA with the Phoenix Suns and then on to Houston and win a championship with the Bucks. He is the epitome of why men go over there to get into the league. But in the WNBA, to your point, you could own the league <laughs> and still have to go overseas. Yeah. yeah Cheryl Swoops sure. played overseas. Diana Taurasi took a year off the WNBA season because her team overseas says, <laughs> we don't want you burning your energy with that lesser league over there. We want you fresh for our league. And they paid her not yeah. to play in the WNBA, which is its own conversation. It's crazy, yeah. I think this is also happening at a time where the WNBA has had considerable gains over the last two or three years. Not just have the ratings been up, but I think clearly uh, in the wake of of mm-hmm. the league's uh, activism, them really leading the NBA in a lot of issues, it's led to a better exposure for the league. I think it's been led for better revenues for the league. It's really been a terrific time for the league, but it's right. not filtering down to these players. Again, Ukraine is a very scary situation, independent of what's going on with Griner and everything else right now. And I think that makes it even scarier for her, because as big of a thing as this is, it's just obviously not going to be the highest priority for anyone. And it's really scary. It just isn't on the radar anywhere. I'm not trying to belittle her place or her circumstances. It is obviously a very frightening time for her, her family, and everyone connected into the WNBA because, as we've been saying, this has been a major source of income. And now they're realizing we can't go back there ever again. Our players cannot go back into Russia and play for a while. How are they going to supplement their income? 
How are these professional athletes now, now that they've lost this, this revenue stream, how is this league going to be able to continue to be a viable opportunity for these young ladies coming out of college when one of the ways you supplement your incomes now by playing overseas and playing, obviously, in Russia, no one's going to want to do that. Not when certainly one of the greatest players playing right now is a prisoner of war, basically, despite she, her not being a soldier, yeah. but she's being used as a pawn. It is absolutely devastating in a lot of different ways, and yet we all know this isn't on the radar. President Biden just announced that he's banning all oil from Russia. We're already in the midst of an inflation largely driven by the increase in demand not being able to be met by the supply chain issues that basically started in 2020 when Wuhan was shut down. So we're two years behind trying to catch up on a supply chain issue that's impacted our economy in a very negative way. 40-year highs in inflation, all-time high in gas prices, and the President of the United States was forced to announce we're now banning all oil from Russia, which is only going to make the economic situation even more stressful for families at home. So as much as it is frightening and it is hurtful and it is concerning about what's happening to Brittany Griner specifically— but the reality is, is this is so far down on the list right now. And yeah. we have a humanitarian crisis of 2 million plus Ukrainians trying to figure out how they're going to be refugees throughout Western Europe. We're trying to figure out if there's going to be a no-fly zone. We're talking about World War II and World War III. And as much as it hurts, because she's a queer black woman who I've had a yeah. chance to get to know and interview and really appreciate and admire for her bravery— her story is going to fall by the wayside, Will, because there's just more pressing issues impacting way more people with way more questions. And I'm afraid that whatever bandwidth that the United States may have in terms of trying to negotiate her release is going to be minuscule. And no one's going to fault the Biden administration or whatever administration is in the White House for having it be minuscule because there are just more pressing issues right now. And it guts me to say that about her and about the situation, but I don't know about you, yeah. Will. I just don't see this being pushed to the fore anytime soon. It's a really scary situation. All right, Will, it's time to hear from our special guest. And I can't think of a person I'd rather have on more than this guy. And as it turns out, he's struggling with the Russian invasion of Ukraine personally as well. Sean McVeigh is a coaching prodigy. He began his career as an assistant wide receivers coach with Tampa Bay under John Gruden when he was just 22 years old. McVeigh then worked his way up the ladder and ultimately became the youngest head coach in NFL history when he was hired by the LA Rams in 2017 when he was just 30. But he's also the youngest head coach to win a playoff game, the youngest head coach to make multiple Super Bowl appearances, the youngest head coach to be named AP Coach of the Year, and just a few weeks ago, the youngest head coach ever to win the Super Bowl. But that's not it, buddy. McVeigh also has an amazing coaching tree. Five of his former assistant coaches have become head coaches in the NFL or the NCAA, including Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, and now Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota. In short, Sean McVeigh is the shit. <laughs> we caught up with Sean a couple of days ago, and he was delightful as always. Listen to this man talk, and it's not hard to understand why he's a Super Bowl champion. So without further ado, here's my favorite coach, and Williams, Sean McVay.
first off, thank you for your time and thank you for coming out with us. My first question, really, like this been just not even a month since you've won the Super Bowl. Do you feel like you've gotten to enjoy it yet? The combine is already upon you. Is there a time where you get to just run pantsless naked through the street and enjoy yourself? Or is that ever, does that ever get to happen? Yeah, it was, it was quickly afterwards, you know, but um, <laughs> what a whirlwind, you know, and, and not to kind of change the tone and the tenor of it, but it's been such a blessing to be able to do that. And then, you know, you get a perspective. What a perspective, this whole thing going on. My fiance is from Ukraine. Yes, we're going to ask. She has her family there. The display of courage, strength, perseverance, leadership that I've seen from her with her family, watching the way that President Volensky's handled this. There's so many things that, you know, you take a step back and you just say, man, I'm so proud to be associated with these people, with my fiance and the grace that she's handled this with. And it gives you a perspective, you know, and what we were able to accomplish was really special, but it sure pales in comparison to what's going on right now that is really hit our family in a, in a way that, uh, you know, I never could have understood in, unless you kind of go through these things. And it's been crazy to say the least, Will. How is she and her family holding up, if you don't mind me asking? She's so strong. You know, we've been engaged, actually. We got engaged after we lost the last Super Bowl. So it's been a while. She said, I'm not marrying you until you win one. Um, <laughs> <not sure. laughs> that one was motivating you. Got it. There you go. But um it's like sometimes those tough moments, you can really grow closer to the people that you love and care about unconditionally. And I have just been in awe with what a rock she's been for her family. Um, it's been a challenge. She's doing a great job of, of helping, you know, her stepmom and her brother be able to transition, be in Poland, her dad staying back. And he's such a stud in his own right. And uh, I've just been blown away by just the grace and the way that these Ukrainian people have handled a really tough, challenging situation. And you roll your sleeves up and you go to war and, you know, or you go to, to fight with your people and to defend the country that, uh, that you believe in. And it's been perspective to say the least has, has definitely been felt in appreciation for my fiance, Veronica. What does it say to you, Sean, about the power of sports? Because when you think about not just what's happening right now in Europe with Ukraine and Russia, but also United States as well. And obviously athletes in China, who have used their platform to speak out against injustices. And in the Ukraine right now, we have several boxers, including Lemonchenko, yep. uh, taking up arms to the fight to defend this country. Obviously, we know what's been going on with the NFL as well as the NBA with athletes. What does it say about you about the power of athletes and their platforms? Yeah, it's funny, LZ. Um, I, I just think it's an incredible display of so many things have gone on that really have been brought to light over the last couple of years where you realize what's great about sports is it brings people together from a bunch of different platforms, perspectives to realize that it is about unity. It's about equity. It's about standing for the right core values and things that make this world and humanity right. And I think it's important for people to be able to use their platform in the right way with what resonates on their heart. And I think it's important to really utilize that influence in a positive way to get some things going and to have that momentum positively build upon one another for humanity and, and all the things that are good about humanity. You know, there's been examples of where it's not good, but I think it's really impressive to see those people that have the platform LZ step up, do what's right and be an example of saying that's what it looks like to fix and to try to solve problems. And, and that's something that uh, you want to try to do in any form or fashion you can when it's on your heart and, and, and it certainly is on mine in a lot of different ways. Obviously the job of the NFL coach, particularly one that just won the Super Bowl, is a complicated, very busy one. I'm curious, is it hard to keep the balance between 
being hyper-focused on your job and hyper-focused on your work and still being aware of these issues in the larger world around you. Like, I feel like I've interviewed people 15 years ago who like didn't even know what was going on in the world at all because they were so focused. Do you have that balance? Is that something you feel is important to maybe have the balance between the real world and the football world? Sure, I think it is, Will. Um, it's something that I definitely want to continue to get better about. You know, sometimes I am so hyper-focused that you lose perspective of what's really important in life and these things really kind of be able to, you know, humble you to realize that and have that perspective. And, and that's really important, but that's definitely something that my fiance has really helped increase my awareness of some things that are going on. And then sometimes, you know, I try to stay naive to it so that you guys don't hurt my feelings when we're losing games. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> Just shifting gears for a second. Coach, if you look slightly to Will's right shoulder, you see there's a young man there. I do. Who's very excited to see you because you have won the Super Bowl. That is Will's son. Will's son, much like myself, have always believed in the Rams and believed in you and are very, very happy. And I just want uh -huh. you to know that when we had our playoff draft, the Rams was the first team that I picked to win the Super Bowl. Mm. We all picked a different team. Here's my question, LZ. Would you have taken us with the Packers if you had the first pick? I saw that. <laughs> Coach, we've known each other a long time. When have I ever betted against you? When? Hey, you know what? I appreciate the support. Will, what's your son's name? My son's name is William. My son's hey, name William, is William. How you doing, big guy? He asking how you doing. <laughs> right. Good to see you, buddy. He is a Browns fan, so mostly because he's young and has not suffered. Uh, hey, that much he was rooting for Odell then when he came. Uh, Absolutely, he was. Guys. Absolutely, he was. <laughs> One of the things you've always been the young guy, the youngest head coach, you the youngest to win the Super Bowl. I'm curious that like people work their entire lives either to become a coach or to win a Super Bowl. There are great, incredible Hall of Fame coaches that never won a Super Bowl. I don't know how life expectancy is going to be in 60 years, but I feel like you've got a lot, a lot of life ahead of you. The fact that you've now reached this mountaintop at such a young age, is it harder to motivate yourself? Are you like, oh, the combine already? I just want to enjoy myself a little bit. Do you struggle with that at all? Is that something you have to keep in mind? You know what I would say? Well, I think you're not naive to how difficult it is to be in positions like what our team was. But growing up around this game, I have tremendous respect for knowing how many people contributed to give us that opportunity. Great players, great coaches. I've always had such a passion, but I think the biggest thing that really drives me is a purpose, a purpose to do it for people that you love and you care about. And so I never feel like it's a dread. There are some things that, you know, that you're saying, man, I wouldn't miss that part of it, but there sure are a lot more things that you love and it's all about the people. And, you know, really it has been a quick turnaround, but I'm, I'm really excited about attacking how to figure out to try to get as many of these foundational pieces back on our team. What does it look like to onboard six new coaches after you lose six great coaches and continue to build on it while studying the rest of the league? So to be able to do something that you love and that you're truly passionate about, but more importantly, you're doing it with people that give you a real purpose. That's what drives me. Very fortunate, but I also know that uh, it's like uh, Wayne Gretzky told Andrew Whitworth, the only thing better than one is two. So, uh, so we'll, uh, we'll continue to move forward knowing that you only do that one day at a time, but I think we're still enjoying this and then it'll be pretty, uh, pretty quickly. We'll start pivoting our eyes towards 2022. Well, speaking of 2022, and you've alluded to this earlier, you've lost another assistant coach that seems to be a habit of yours. What do you look for when it comes to replenishing your coffers? 
you know, you've had multiple opportunities, obviously, to do that. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that's been the biggest blessing about all this LZ is I was so fortunate to get an opportunity at a young age. I want people that have ambitions and want to continue to grow. I don't ever want anybody to apologize for that. And to be able to see guys be able to take the next steps, if we can't provide that, is something that's very important to me. I learned that from what my grandfather and those guys did at San Fran. And I think what happens as a result of that is you attract high caliber and quality coaches that want to be a part of it because they know if you invest in being the best version of yourself, helping our players, helping our coaches, we're going to invest back in you, even if sometimes that's not what's best for the Rams. And so it is something, but I also think it gives me a unique opportunity to get exposure to a bunch of different special coaches, new ideas every year, new ways of trying to reinvent what we can do to best put our players in the right spots. And it is something that, that I take a lot of pride in because these guys have poured into me as you try to pour into them as well. And the coaching tree thing sounds ridiculous. I'm too young for that, but <laughs> we've been able to have a lot of success with the Rams that's led to great coaches that have been a huge part of our success. Go get opportunities that they've earned and are deserving of. You got your start because of the Gruden family. And I'm just curious if you had an opportunity to talk with them since what's you know obviously transpired over the last few months and what your relationship was like now. Sure. Yeah. You know, I have spoken to John and, uh, you know, I feel terrible when things like that go down because you always want to try to have empathy for both sides of it while also understanding the platform that we have and the responsibility that comes with that. But I'm a person that believes in empathy and forgiveness and try to be as understanding as possible. John has been really good to me. So I have spoken with John. Jay Gruden's been really good to me. I've spoken with Jay and, and that family, you know, the way that they've treated me has always been great. I hate to see anybody go through some of those things. And I also hope that sometimes those can provide learning opportunities and, and perspectives on all right, understanding you know, the ramifications and the platform and responsibility that we have as leaders to set good examples in everything that we do. Are people treating you differently when you walk down the street now? <laughs> like, honestly, like, when you've won the Super Bowl and you've done this, like, if, if we'd have had you on earlier, I'll just finish <laughs> that. I don't know if my son would have sat in. He'd be like, okay, <laughs> the, the Browns are but you won a Super Bowl now. Like, this there is you the go. Whole... You answered it. <laughs> Yo, Will, he walks into catch and they remove Kardashians from tables so that he can sit down now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. When I first got here, I thought I was big dog before I coached the game. I go to catch with a group of coaches and they say, hey, is your whole party here? I said, no, not yet. They said, they don't wait your ass until the whole party's there. You know, yeah. now, now, they treat it, now they'll treat us better. I don't know. But it's Los Angeles for a while. Until, <laughs> That's right. Then you're, there's always Charo coming in or, uh, or, 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 or so on. So you mentioned Big Wit. Obviously, you know, Von Miller, OBJ, or other big names who may be with us, may not be back with us. Can you explain a little bit where the Rams are in this replenishing process and how does the combine fit into it as well? We really just started that, you know, LZ, because you kind of try to take a week, digest it, and now you want to give players their space while also saying, okay, free agency is around the corner. The first thing before anything else is how many of our guys can we get back, even guys that are under contract, being able to try to make sure that they feel good, they feel appreciated, and, and how we really put this puzzle together. And so all those things have really kind of started to ramp up this week. That This kind of represents the start of that process where I'm reaching out to guys and I think you would be able to say like, hey, it's not a secret. The guys that we want to try to be able to get back. And that's really important, you know, to us being able to continue while also knowing that we're going to probably have to see some great players that were instrumental in our success go do their thing elsewhere. And so 
as much continuity as we can have while also understanding it's a it's a part of the puzzle we want to put together is a, is the great challenge that we're in the midst of uh, you know kind of processing and, and putting that plan in place as we speak. Is there a certain position or side of the football that you're prioritizing more than another side? You know, I think they're both really important because I think there's always areas of improvement. I think so much of it, LZ, is predicated on, okay, who do we re-sign from our own? You know, for example, if you don't get Von Miller back, well, then, of course, you're looking at, okay, feel really good about Leonard Floyd. Justin Hollins has done some good things. But how do we understand the parameters around if you lose Von? Oboe's a free agent. And so you have sort of things that you want to be able to knock out one at a time. And then if those don't work out, then you go to some of your contingency plans. And that'll be a process that's unfolding as we speak. But I do feel good about having a plan that's in alignment with trying to bring as many of these foundational pieces back as possible. And my understanding is these guys want to be a part of it while also understanding they deserve to be rewarded and appreciated and respected accordingly. We joked a little bit about you not getting your table at catch uh, in the future. But I do wonder, like, the Super Bowl was a banner week for Los Angeles, obviously having the game back there again. And of course, you all winning the Super Bowl. I'm curious, though, there were a lot of Bengals fans there with all the success you've had this early in the process to catch the foothold in Los Angeles. Do you work with the community? Is there an obligation that you guys feel as a franchise to kind of get caught on? And, or is it just like, well, we won a Super Bowl, so that should there, be a good start? There's no doubt, Will. And, you know, I've, I've heard it said before, and I think it goes with the fan base. You know, love is spelled T-I-M-E. You know, and I think it takes time to be able to establish that loyalty, that fan base. I think our job is to try to create as many reasons for people to want to come see the Rams play because of the way they play together. They play for one another. we got a lot of exciting players. Production is really important, but I also think a lot of the things that, you know, our guys have done in the community and using that influence for the right reasons is something that we can really build upon. We've got momentum. You know, this stadium that Mr. Kroenke built is unbelievable. And I also think what you can't be naive to is that's a pretty cool thing. If you're saying, hey, we live in a place that's not as great as L.A., we get to go visit a a warm, beautiful weather area and then also see an iconic venue that Mr. Kroenke built. That's a part of it. but. Our job is to try to make it as uh, intriguing and interesting and as enticing to want to come support the Rams as much as possible um, with the way that we handle ourselves, the way that we compete to the best of our ability, but also try to establish some foundational loyalty in this community with the ways that we use this platform, going back to LZ's question earlier. And that's something that I want to be able to do a little bit more of as well. You know, I'm so fortunate and so blessed to be in this role. But I also know that this is a great city. I love this city. I don't see myself ever living anywhere else as long as I have the opportunity to do that. And to be able to kind of plant your feet here and and try to make an impact for for a lot of people that you think you can positively help is something that's important. And I'm going to be intentional about doing moving forward. And I know a lot of our players and and our organization feels that way also. Sean, when I saw you, and this will be the last question. I know you're a very busy man trying to defend a championship. (laughs) Last time I saw you before this was at the press conference before the Super Bowl. Yeah. And there was a very interesting conversation about priorities and your desire to not only want to be a father, but be a father who has time to be invested in their children's lives. And obviously, you made these statements prior to the conflict in Ukraine and how it impacts you directly. My question to you is, as you think about your life moving forward with your wife, you guys have gone through the pandemic together. Yeah. You're now dealing with this crisis in Ukraine together. Can you talk a little bit about your maturation as a person in a very short period of time being impacted by these global events that are impacting us all? 
Yeah, I think it helps. You know, you, you always hear me talk about that work-life balance, but I think more than anything, you realize the work stuff is so secondary in the big picture as it relates to human beings being affected in terms of life or death experiences or personal things that they go through that, that affect the way that they're able to live their lives and be at peace and be still. And so that is absolutely something that's impacted me in a way that, you know, if anything, it gives you a better perspective, a better understanding and an empathy. And in a lot of ways, LZ, you know, I'm embarrassed with how fortunate and how lucky I've been to not really have gone through any real adversity in the big picture. And I think those experiences help shape a much more purpose-driven life, you know, where you're living for things that are bigger than yourself. You're there for people unconditionally. You're able to prioritize, man, what a unique thing it is to be a part of winning a Super Bowl, but it pales in comparison to what my wife or my future wife and her family's going through. What so many people that I love and care about have had to experience that I've learned from their stories, you know, based on different backgrounds and the ways that there hasn't been the equity that those people deserve with the way that they've grown up and the experiences that they've had. And so it's had a profound impact on me. You hope that you don't ever lose sight of that impact as you get busy and you get in the midst of when the season rolls back around. And that's something that's going to hopefully shape much more clarity in terms of how you prioritize and organize the things that you can help impact in the positive way um, moving forward for really the rest of my life, LZ. I, I just want you to know, brother, like real talk, you know, we've known each other a little bit now, certainly since you've been to LA. And while I was excited that we won a Super Bowl because I've been rooting for this team since you've been back and I got to brag on Will and Keyshawn and everybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just genuinely happy for you. Yeah. Especially considering the big swing you guys took to get Matthew Stafford. To have it immediately justified with a championship just has to be a tremendous feeling. And I'm just so genuinely happy for you and Les and the whole franchise that you had an opportunity to not just take a big swing, but to connect on that swing as well. You know what? That means a lot because I've always had so much respect for the security, the vulnerability, the way that you've used your platform to help so many people out, LZ. And and that stillness and that peace that you have, you have like a great settled energy about yourself that has always been comforting. And and I really appreciate those nice words from you. That means a lot to me. And as the one on this podcast that doesn't have a settling, calm energy, uh, I'd like to thank you for your time uh, of coming on with this. And my, and, my, and my son really wants to know, by the way, he made me ask one last question. So when are you going to coach the Browns? Are you going to coach the Browns soon? Is it an official denial? As long as Mr. Kroenke will have me, the answer is never, William. Okay, then, okay, okay. We'll, we'll see if he can buy the Browns. We're going to see if he can buy the Browns. Uh, thank you for your time, sir. Best of luck to you and your family throughout all of this and to your fiance and her family as well. Thank you for your time and congratulations. Hey, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Good to see you guys. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks. Uh... Take care. Be safe, sir. All right. That was the Super Bowl winning coach, Sean McVay. It was great to have him with us. And as far as I'm concerned, Sean can come back whenever he wants. Unlike my son, who's going back to school now. In the meantime, let's take a quick break. And when we return, We're going to talk about another great head coach who I can say with certainty is definitely not as much fun as Sean McVay. The Real Coach K is next.
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, LZ, we're back. This isn't part of the program. This is impromptu by me. I'm sorry about this afternoon. That, no, please, no, please, everyone be quiet. Let me just say, it's unacceptable. Today was unacceptable, but the season has been very acceptable. And, uh, And I'll tell you, the season isn't over, all right? That was Mike Krzyzewski, the Hall of Fame head coach of the currently seventh-ranked Duke Blue Devils men's college basketball team, apologizing to the crowd, hilariously, after his last home game ever, which Duke lost to hated rival North Carolina. Krzyzewski is retiring at the end of the season after 42 years in Durham, and he'll finish his career as quite possibly the greatest coach in the history of the sport. He's won more games than anyone else, has led Duke to 12 Final Fours and five NCAA titles, been named Naismith Coach of the Year three times, and to top it all off, has earned three gold medals getting the U.S. men's team to Olympic basketball championships, because I'm sure they would have never won without him. Throughout this past season, Coach K has rightly been lauded for his many accomplishments. But make no mistake about it, outside of Duke, and particularly in this house, to be honest, he's not exactly beloved. Coach K is well known for berating his players, opposing players, reporters at the student newspaper if he doesn't like what they've written, and Duke fans if he doesn't care for how they're cheering for him and his program. That program is imbued with an elitism and a holier-than-thou attitude that Krzyzewski often rubs in people's faces. He's coached an enormous number of despised players. Hello, Grayson Allen, over the years, <laughs> who've been accused of dirty play, but present themselves as saintly. Okay, not hello, Grayson Allen. And Coach K has often been criticized for Duke's preponderance of white players, lack of diversity, and unwillingness to recruit in inner cities. LZ? Coach K's retirement party is just about over, thank God. Is it safe to admit that we dislike him now, please? He's going to be remembered as everything positive and none of the the accurate and negative things that you said about him. Because that's what time does. (laughs) Time turns, generally speaking, people we don't like in pop culture into cuddly figures later in life. That's just what happens. Alex Rodriguez is broadcasting national baseball game on ESPN, and people have been spitting his face for 20 years. Exactly. So, yes, I agree. Basically. And, you know, and it's like, it's just what we do. The entire country turns into like the Midwest when it's time to say goodbye to figures we don't like. And for those who don't know what that reference is, of course, Will does know because he too is from the Midwest. There's a thing called Midwest Nice. And Midwest Nice mm-hmm. is the kind of nice 
that basically is saying, we really don't fuck with you like that, but we can't say that because that makes us look bad. So we'll say something positive and vacuous about you, but really, it's an F you. <laughs> that was a really good point, LZ. Good job. Let's see. That's been, that is that, a, there's some good Midwest nice for you. That's, that's some good Midwest <laughs> nice for you right there. I would say this about Coach K, too. A good example of this, frankly, we saw this immediately with Tom Brady. I always make this joke about Tom Brady, but you know, someday our grandchildren or your grandchildren will ask me or my grandchildren will ask you, what was it like to watch Tom Brady play? He must have been so celebrated. He's right. the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. I'm like, actually, everyone drew penises, <laughs> penises in Photoshop on his face and called him a fascist. But I won't do that. I will say, oh, yeah, that we all appreciated how awesome it was to see him in real time. It was amazing. Right. Because that's what we do with figures in sports. Coach K is a guy who, you know, he was, he was like a rat, like a little ratty guy, this cranky. And I, I loved after they lost the other day, he just couldn't have his moment still. Literally half of his former players have come to honor him. This whole thing has been put together just to show how much they care about Coach K. Every single person in Cameron Indoor Stadium is there just to genuflect at his feet. And what is the first thing he does after the game? He yells at <laughs> all of them. He yells at all of them, shut up! Like, oh, that's the most Coach K thing ever. I almost found it, like, good for you, man. He's impossible of being fake. I think that's to his credit. I think he's actually a very unpleasant person. <laughs> I think he's a very unpleasant person and probably an unpleasant person to be around because, I mean, let's not forget, he's from the Bob Knight school. Right. Bob Knight was his yeah. coach at Army. And they've, they've had like a split over the years along, but he's very much a TV-friendly Bob Knight. They're very similar kind of dudes. And I think you can see in the way that the programs not only played, but like really kind of dominated both culturally and competitively college basketball really for decades. You know, when I was really kind of done with him, actually, there were several moments in which I was done with him. And it really wasn't based upon the fact that he sort of perpetuated everything that was wrong in terms of the NCAA with the way that he approached his recruitment with Duke. For me, it really was listening to Jalen talk about actually having a desire to play there. Jalen Rose, who ended up at Michigan, and not even being yeah. recruited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you not recruit these great players from the inner city? Because you're purposely trying to create an image of what your program is. And that image did not include people of color from the inner city. Certainly not people of color from the inner city who some people may characterize as rough around the edges. And for them, rough around the edges yeah. didn't mean that they went to jail. No, 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 no. Rough around the edges was simply... Well, tattoos. Ta I was going to say, well, we're, we don't approve of the Timberlands that you're wearing. That seems like that's sitting in the right yeah, message. Right, like it right. was really sort of blatant respectability politics mixed in with a sprinkle of normalized racism. And I'm not saying that Coach K is a racist. I want to make sure that people don't conflate the two. But he certainly felt to me as if he did not have a problem leaning into some of those tropes as he was recruiting and as he was presenting his school, his program, for decades and decades and decades. And I think some of that splashed onto his players unfairly. Like, we hated Christian Leitner for the right reasons, but I think we also hated Christian Leitner because we hated what he represented, which was not necessarily in his control, but was a byproduct of this culture that Coach K was fashioning at that point. It was on the backs of Danny Ferry, right, who we hated, 
for a variety of reasons, including what he seemed to epitomize when he was on the court representing that team. Coach K's legacy is complicated for those who are paying attention. But we don't pay attention for long. We certainly forget the details, Will. And so he's going to end up being like Sean Spicer on the freaking Dancing with the Stars. You know, where it's like, (laughs) you know, we know you were an asshole, but it was so long ago and... God, you look good doing that dance step. Let's just forget about that. It's just positive fucking to the positive thing. So when it comes to Coach K, we're going to forget that he's the guy that berated other programs about not having players who went by the game the right way while protecting Grayson Allen. A literal thug. A thug. I will say that to his little face. Because I think his face is disproportionate to the rest his of his little, body. His little, his little Ted Cruz face. Right? Yeah, little I was, was yeah. calling him because you have thug tendencies on the basketball court. And Coach K <laughs> never saw you as a thug. And there's only one logical reason why. And it's not because he's yours. You know? So I won't forget the complexity of Coach K. You won't forget, and hopefully much of our audience, the, the audience that gravitate towards our show, won't forget. But it won't be long before we're just going to be talking about how great John Wooden is and all his quotes, but we'll never bring up the fact that he had to have known about all of the improprieties that was happening in his program with the boosters. And if he didn't know, that's a level of incompetence. And if he did know, that's hypocrisy. But we don't talk about any of that because we got these great quotes. Yeah. And it's great footage, and he's won championships, and there's been plenty of time. And that's what's going to happen with Coach K. Trust me. Like, you should have trusted me with the baseball and trust <laughs> with the Rams. Trust me with this. <laughs> I'd say one of the biggest upsets of my sports fan life is that J.J. Reddick turned out kind of cool. That is, like, the last thing in the world I ever thought was going to happen. J.J.'s cool as fuck, <laughs> like, man, and he's been cool. I know. I, 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 the uh, first time I interviewed J.J., he had uh, just left Duke. And I, I swear to you, I came to this interview expecting to talk to some smug, self-important, blah, blah, blah. Of course. He was so fucking cool. Yeah. We stayed in touch since he was at Duke. Because <laughs> he's cool like that. I know. Right, right. He left Duke. He had to be the real person he actually is. You know, Coach K, he doesn't think of himself a coach. He's just mm. a leader that happens to coach basketball. That was like his big thing. We joke about this all the time. Whenever you see an NBA game advertised, like it's always Embiid against Durant or, or LeBron against KD or whatever it is. In college basketball, it's always Coach K right. against Jim Beheim. Like it's always the coach. And Coach K is so much a big part of that. His big thing back in the day was always he didn't want one and yep. done. And he would always say it like that. He, these were not people. These were not human beings coming from difficult circumstances that might want to get some money for their family early on in their careers. They were one-and-dones. They were somehow against the spirit of college basketball. And really, as we've kind of learned over the last 15, 20 years, the spirit of college basketball really means enriching the coaches in the universities, not enriching the players and their families. And so Coach K pushed against that for a really, really long time Mm -hmm. until his team started to lose. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, (laughs) Zion. Wow, Zion Williamson is perfect here. That was like the pivot moment when someone as cool as Zion Williamson went to Duke. This is like Nick Saban winning at Alabama now. He's now transformed and figured himself out. And and he's been able to kind of whitewash that stuff. But for me, Coach K will always be the bad guy. You you, you have to admire his accomplishments, but 
He is a TV-friendly, cleaned-up version of Bob Knight, and you will never, ever persuade me otherwise. Wow. There's no. I wasn't ready to go all. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I wasn't ready to go all there, but yeah. I'm mad. You, <laughs> he hasn't. He hasn't shown up as a Trump was, rally yet. I'll give him that. I, I will ask you this, this: this last final question as it comes to Coach K. Now that we've gone through all the reasons why to hate him. What was your favorite Coach K moment on the positive side? On the positive side? Because he side? has been very positive for college basketball, too, in a lot of ways. So what is your favorite positive aspect of Coach K, if you will? I, again, I don't know if this is positive, but I will say I do like at the end, the guy wants to win so badly and is so tunnel focused on that that, again, it was an awkward moment. It was weird for people in uh, Cameron Indoor, but it really was very true to character. He's not fake. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not a fake guy. He is the person that he is. Again, who cares about one random game against North Carolina? <laughs> Everyone nope. is here to he's worship you. He's trying to win. Everybody loves you. <laughs> and he's like, Arr! you guys shut up over there. And you do have to kind of admire that. I'm not like that as a human being. I don't generally like to associate with people who are like that. But if I were a Duke fan, I'd love it. I would absolutely love that if I were a Duke fan. But thank God, I'm not. Thank God, I'm not a Duke fan. I would say too, that having to get to know Jay Williams over the years, and for those who don't recall, Jay Williams was College Basketball Player of the Year. He won a championship with him and Shane Battier. Great, great Dukes team. Jay goes on, drafted second overall into the NBA, and in the offseason gets into a terrible motorcycle accident where he is basically fighting for his life. And having to get to know Jay Williams over the years, he has repeatedly have told me and many others about how instrumental Coach K was to his not just recovery, but just desire to live and go on. You know, you have to remember, this is a young man, 20, 21 years old, gets into a terrible car accident, basically is wondering if he's going to live or walk again. And he's wondering how did he just trick off his dream of being in the NBA like that? Because he's wondering if he's ever going to be able to play again and questioning if he can live again. And Coach K was very instrumental in investing in him after Jay couldn't necessarily do anything for him. You know, he's out of school. He looks like he's going to be out of the league. Wondering if he's going to live, to be quite honest, or if his leg's going to be amputated. And Coach K was heavily invested in helping him recover mentally from what he had just been through and being able to forge his life going forward. So I do want to acknowledge that while he does seem to give the energy of that he only cares about you if you have something good for him at Duke, you know, hence the I don't like one and dones because what can they really do for Duke if you're a one and done? But when you are done, that doesn't necessarily mean he's done with you. And I think the way that he showed himself up as a leader and as a man doing Jay Will's recovery, I think is definitely one of the highlights that I'll also remember from Coach K, along with not wanting to recruit black players from the hood. I was going to say, thank, thank you for ending with that. <laughs> I want you to know that whatever people will remember about Coach K, that very nice story that you said about Jay Williams, I'm going to erase from my memories now because I don't want to <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, my friend, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. Melissa, I'm delighted to have you here in the studio with us. Our viewers can't read the complaint that can be seen on the wall behind us, but I have a complaint in my hand, and the thrust of it is that you're entitled to the same access and the same rights as male reporters. It's as simple as that, is it not? 
It is as simple as that, and it all started out as simple as that. I wasn't asking for anything more. In fact, what I was asking for was the exact same thing that's been going on for years and years in clubhouses and baseball since the beginning of, of baseball. It's always taken place in the locker room, and yet, because I'm a woman, I can't be a part of that. You just heard from legendary broadcaster Howard Cosell on ABC asking Sports Illustrated reporter Melissa Ludke about her lawsuit against Major League Baseball Commissioner Bowie Kuhn for denying female reporters access to the Yankees and Dodgers locker rooms during the 1977 World Series. Just about a year later, in the fall of 1978, a federal court in New York ruled in favor of Lutke, saying that Kuhn's edict had violated Lutke's fundamental right to pursue a career under the equal protection and due process guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. So, 43 years ago this week, just before the start of the 1979 season, Kuhn ordered all 26 major league teams to allow access to all reporters, regardless of gender, and just like that, a new era had begun. Before long, all major league sports teams had followed suit, and almost immediately women began taking on a much more prominent role in sports journalism. That's not to say that there wasn't resistance from any teams and players along the way, and, you know, some horrifying incidents such as the harassment of reporter Lisa Olsen in the New England Patriots locker room in 1990. But there's no doubt that Lukey's lawsuit changed the coverage of sports forever. Looking back on it, well, it's hard to believe that this was ever a raging controversy because athletes these days are just so used to seeing females in their locker rooms. But can you think of a more important moment in the history of sports journalism than this one? The launch of the long game, obviously. Avi. Listen, that's all before my time. Lukey's before my time. But I mean, are you talking about how young you are in the midst of this conversation talking about women? It's about you and your age and your youthfulness. I'm not the one about to have a birthday. (laughs) But anyway, that would be me. That would be LZ. The point is, I've been doing this for a while. (laughs) See, I'm acknowledging that I'm old. This has changed a lot in my lifetime. This has changed a lot in my professional career. Being in locker rooms in the early to mid aughts or even the late aughts, I would say. You saw stuff like that. I, I remember going to the Yankees locker room and seeing a player with pictures of women in bikinis uh, in his locker, like one of those tool calendars where they thought like there's like a woman with a drill and like with a bikini, a bikini on. Yeah. Yeah. I think my dad used to have those. It is a workshop. Anyway, one of the players had one of those and I literally saw a female reporter. He was like, do you dress like that to her? He just chuckled and she just chuckled because she wants to do her job. I have not seen anything like that in 10 years. That's something that happened during our lifetime. Now, I think you're right. Players have, not only do they accept it, like, I don't think they think anything about it at all. I don't think there's any sort of weirdness. And listen, that speaks to both the era uh, of when this happened in the 70s, but also happens that it was new. Like, this was an industry that was run entirely by men. (laughs) Everything was catered toward men. Everything was set up for men. So the idea that there was a woman sports reporter was unusual. (laughs) I think that's something that's also changed a lot, particularly in the last 10, 15 years. If you're among reporters now, I find there's almost just as many women as there are men right now. And so the weird thing for anyone to do would be to find it odd. And I so I think that's changed. Getting to the specifics of speaking to athletes in the locker room, I guess we're going to reach true equality soon because <laughs> soon no one's going to get to talk to anyone in the locker room, male, female, transgender, or anything. Because uh, if there's one thing the pandemic has put, I would argue a pretty set change I think the NBA is already starting to put put in motion on this. I think Michelle Roberts pushed this hard for a lot of players before she left. There was a big thing. I think athletes do not want reporters in the locker room. And when we look back on the pandemic, what they changed, 
I think reporters in the locker room, I think you're going to see that regardless of gender, uh, kind of go to the way of the dodo. The dodo has gone the way of the dodo. We don't even talk about dodos anymore. Yeah. Referencing the dodo as the thing that's extinct. What's the most recent thing that's going to see? It's gone the way of the iceberg. That's what's going to be it's, next. It's gone the way of the phrase, avoid it like the plague, because clearly we, yes. <laughs> yes. we don't yes. avoid things like the plague yeah. anymore. You know, I do believe this is probably one of the most important moments in sports journalism history. You can make an argument that the establishment of ESPN has kind of shoehorn his way into that only because of the way that ESPN has been able to inflate the importance mm -hmm. of sports journalism within the context of sports in, in general. But certainly getting to this point in terms of allowing women to just do their jobs that they're trained for without being sexually harassed or just flat out denied because of their gender certainly was a big step. But I would argue based upon the way that Mina Kimes still occasionally gets treated via social, sometimes even by ex-players themselves. Shout out to you, Jerry Garcia. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, if only. We still got a ways to go. Hey, think about it. Lawsuits in the 70s, 1978, yeah. the federal court says, okay, stop being a sexist pig. And what is it? Almost 50 years later, women are still dealing with these issues of being treated like they aren't supposed to be in this space by men. And sometimes they're athletes, but more often than not, they're fans. And I don't know why men of a certain worldview believe you need a penis to cover a baseball game or a basketball game is beyond me. You can't say, you know, you've never played the game because there are tons of coaches who have never played the game, right? Well, you can't say you don't know what you're talking about because... I double dog dare you to debate Mina Kimes or anything dealing with the NFL and think you could come out on top of that. <laughs> her knowledge in the sport, and not just hers. She's just the, you know, the the one who was the focus because of her fight with Jeff Garcia that was very public. But there are tons of women in sports, whether they're in right. journalism or working in sports or were referees in, in the sport who are treated somehow like their information is less than or comes with an asterisk in a lot of men's eyes or ways. And that's just very confusing to me because if women can be in a Supreme Court, we're still waiting to see if black women can be in a Supreme Court, but, <laughs> but, but we're hopeful, you know, but certainly we've got a Latino on, right, we've had I'm some hopeful. white women, I'm you know, hopeful. we've had like, I believe one Jewish woman. So we've had some representation of a spectrum of women on the Supreme Court. Don't forget beer drinkers. Beer drinkers are, are very well represented on the Supreme Court. Beer drinkers are very well represented on the Supreme Court. We have women running Fortune 500 companies. We have women who got more votes in the general election than her male counterpart. She just didn't get as many electoral votes, but she got more popular votes. So clearly, much of America believes that a woman can mm -hmm. be in charge of the most powerful country in the world. But for some reason, the idea of a woman talking about football still makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's like the most nonsensical rationale really, I've ever really seen, bizarre. Will. I, I really don't know what to do with that. At a certain level, a lot of this is online bullshit. Not to minimize it, but I'm just saying that a lot of it is online bullshit. And for me, like, listen, I'm a Cardinals fan. The St. Louis Cardinals are a baseball team. Baseball is a sport that used to be played. The Cardinals are a team that used to play that sport. Didn't you guys have players in that team that was it, worth, oh yeah, we got them 40, all. There were 40, there were 40, and then they're not around anymore. I don't know what happened. But 
Kitty Wu is the reporter for The Athletic. She covers the Cardinals. She is a terrific beat reporter. And if you love a team, nothing is more valuable to you than a terrific beat reporter. Her and Derek Gould are two incredible beat reporters covering the Cardinals. And I read every single word they say about anything. I feel like I know them better than they know themselves. The idea that you could read Katie Wu who is covers this team as well as anyone covers it and be like, what? She doesn't know anything about she baseball. She doesn't play that the game. You. Like, that is clearly you. It's just like, I know so much more about this team that I care so much about because of her reporting. I, they're not even coming from a position of like caring about sports. They're just coming from a position of being assholes. A small part of the job in media was recognizing that like a large part of the ref's job is just to get yelled at because people have had shitty days and they're yelling at you so they don't yell at their family or their dog. And so I, at a certain level, I've always thought that that's part of the job of being in the media, seeing all the stories of the way women are, women are treated in media. And listen, this is not just like fans. We can have a barstool conversation if you want to about, uh, about every woman that's worked in media has ever tried to talk about that organization. If anything, I have found the people that treat mm. women reporters best are the athletes, the athletes treat us. Yes, the old, yes. like, if, you remember the thing with the Mets? The Mets had that executive that, right. that was hitting on the reporter. That wasn't a player. That was an executive. That was an older person that did that. It's fans that are like that. It's media organizations that treat them that way. It's generally not players. But again, ultimately, it doesn't really matter because none of us are getting in locker rooms ever again. So uh, at least in that regard, thank you, Ms. Lukey, for opening the door so someday we can all have it equally close in our face. LZ, happy early birthday. Thank you very much, fine sir. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very excited. This is your first birthday. I'm going to, get to celebrate with you. I will be calling you every 15 minutes asking you, how's your birthday going? Because I really, I hope it's going really well. You better get those calls in early. Because I have to get caught up on birthdays that I didn't know you yet. So uh, so by like noon, I'll be up to like your 14th birthday. And then I'll be able to get up to the your 34th, uh, which is where you are now. I would be remiss if I don't say this based upon who I am. Okay. Earlier today in Florida, the don't say gay bill passed. And it's likely going to be signed into law by Ron DeSantis. And if there's any queer people watching us on Twitch or listening to the podcast right now and are wondering what the fuck is going on in our country, where now there are laws being passed as preventing teachers from teaching about LGBTQ history as much as we fought to just have a place in this world. I just want you to know that you're not alone that there are people in this country, in this world who love you and see you and don't believe there's anything wrong with you. And it breaks my heart to know that after everything that we've been through as a community, you know, with the HIV AIDS crisis and Don't Ask, Don't Tell and Defensive Marriage Act and the arrests and everything that's happened to our community to be at this point in 2022 is deflating. But I would just encourage you to keep your head up, keep the pendulum swinging. There's a win for the opposition over here. There's going to be a win for us very soon as long as we keep fighting. So anyone who's listening, who's confused and hurt like I am today, I just want you to know that you're not alone and that the community will remain strong and that we're going to continue to fight and push forward, not just for ourselves, but for the generations that come after us. Thank you for that. And I will add on to that. Fuck those guys. Fuck those Fuck guys. Those guys. And that's our show for this week. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we'll be simulcasting live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the recount. That's twitch.tv slash the recount. And on both the recount Twitter and the recount YouTube platforms on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. I know it's hard to remember that part. 12.30 Eastern. So join us then for a breakdown of the biggest stories in sports. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienemy, Megan Burney, Roz Guevara, Mark Levine, and Marshall Eisen. Music is by Gloria Tales with some sound design by David Wilson. We'll be back with another podcast next Wednesday. And hopefully, baseball? Maybe? Maybe, but probably not. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.